And in this series, we're asking one simple question. We're saying, is Christianity different enough? Is Christianity valid enough? Is Christianity distinguished enough that it would warrant the risk of you and I being different? Is it distinguished enough to warrant the risk of us being different? Because I want to tell you something. You and I know that as soon as you adopt a particular way of life, that it, it changes your way of doing things, interacting with people. It changes your thoughts, your motivations, and your behavior over time. And Christianity is no different. It will ask of you to be different. But is it worth it? Is it worth the risk of being different? You see, every set of beliefs, every assertion, every philosophical point of view, and predominantly every religious uh, way of living, every religion answers or attempts to answer uh, three major topics. First of all, it answers the idea, the first idea that we look at is our destiny. Where are we going from here? Other religions have a particular way of what eternity looks like, and it tells you what your destiny will be based on, and we addressed that last week. The second question or the second topic that religions deal with is the idea of identity, and, the la and that we will deal with tonight, and the last area is morality, which we'll deal with next week. Just like Claudia mentioned, Dependent on your relationship with your family, maybe even your religious group, whether you're a Christian or you adopt a different set of beliefs, you grew up with some ideas about God. And in this series, we assume two things. Initially, the first thing we assume is that you believe in a higher being. We're not talking to people who don't believe in the existence of God. That's another time altogether. But I'm assuming that you believe in a higher being. Secondly, I'm assuming that you're open enough to explore the reality and the possibility that Christianity may be valid and may be different enough to warrant the risk of you being different. So what does Christianity say about our relationship with this higher being that we Christian call God, the Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And based on your upbringing, maybe you have put your God in a box. Maybe you have put God in a box of being distant. Is it here? Yeah? It's somewhere? Yeah? It's there. Yes. They're trying to confuse me tonight. But I'm smart. Not easily confused. And it's in, in Spanish. Can you believe that? Let me turn the box around, all right? Miracles. <laughs> it's not going very well. <laughs> I better sit down. Let's rewind. Let's start. Welcome tonight. My name is Peter Botros. I'm going to take a drink. Claudia, can we do the interview again? Actually, Lisa, the, the water was amazingly warm. Do you want to do that again? <laughs> 
Maybe you grew up thinking that God is distant from humanity, that He's transcendent, that He's powerful, He's strong, He knows things. But for you and I to connect with this God is so ridiculous, it's not possible. And you grew up with the idea that you can't even begin to associate and relate to God. Or maybe you grew up in an environment with a religious background where just select few people who connect with God really and others don't. Maybe it's a missionary, maybe it's a monk, maybe it's a, it's a prophet, maybe it's a saint, whatever it might be. Maybe it's a religious group that have the possibility of connecting with God. But you and I, normal, ordinary people, it's not really possible. Or maybe just like Claudia, you grew up in a Christian environment. But unlike Claudia, maybe you heard the idea that God actually is a personal God and loves you just the way you are. And you grew up in this environment of thinking, you know, God loves me, the Bible tells me so, I'm so excited about the future, and then bang, you get hit with the reality of life. Maybe you had unexpected dramas turn out in your life. Maybe you've been mistreated. Maybe you've been treated unjustly. Maybe you've experienced pain that is as a result of somebody else's wrongdoing that is not yours. And you say, God, I have tried my very best to walk with you. What on earth is happening? And then your faith gets a little bit entangled. And you're confronted with the idea, does God really love me? Is he close to me? And maybe you came up with the same conclusion that we heard a few minutes ago, that it's either Jesus is not real, or if he is, he mustn't love me. Because why would any God, loving, caring God, allow us, allow you to go through the traumas, the pain, and the difficulties of life? It is a crazy thing. If God truly presents himself as a loving, faithful God, then our quest, our deepest search in life is to have a relationship with this loving, faithful God. Wouldn't you agree? And even from the beginning of Christianity, from the very start of of the Christian faith, people always try to find out a way how they can relate to God, how they can draw near to God, how they can be intimate with God. And uh, uh, obviously, very early on, there were two groups, uh, known groups of Christians. They've got the Jewish people that accepted that Christ is the Messiah, but they held on to their customs and their beliefs, the Jewish beliefs. And then you had those pagan background uh, Christians who didn't know anything about God. They weren't believers in a Jewish sense, but then they came to accept the message of Jesus Christ and they became pagan (laughs) believers. They're Christians of pagan background. But the Jewish people said, no, you can't relate to God just based on the reality uh, that you have accepted Jesus Christ and you believe in him. You have to become a Jew. 
because their national identity was anchored in a relationship that Abraham, their forefather, had with God. You know, Abraham is the first person that had a connection with God, what we know as a strong friendship covenant. God had a covenant with him. He called him out of worshiping moon, the moon with his family. He called him to go to a place that God was going to give him. He promised him land. He promised him a nation. And he promised him with a special relationship. And those people, the descendant of Abraham, felt that they were the chosen people. They were the family of God. They were the people only who could relate to God on a really close level. So they looked at the pagans as if the pagans are just a, a fuel for hell. They will consider pagans, people like you and I who don't have Jewish background, is that they were like dogs. They were so dirty. They were like dogs. They knew that they had no hope of a relationship with God. And therefore, when they found that some pagan uh, background people became Christians, they wanted to go to them in a place called the, the Roman province of Galatia in the south and central Turkey. They went to them and said, don't listen to this poor guy that's telling you that all you need to relate to God and to derive your identity from faith in Jesus, that's hocus pocus. You've got to be part of the Gen A. What's the Gen A? It's the first generation. It's the generation of Abraham. You know, he was the first guy that connected with God. And not only you needed to be circumcised to be a, of the descendant of Abraham, you needed to keep the Mosaic law that God gave to the Jewish nation. And if you do it well, not only were you Gen A, you were Gen A plus. You were doing everything well, and God was clapping you up in heaven. You know, you tired. You went to church twice, you know, you went on a mission trip, you've just done it all. You climbed the ladder and God gives you A+. Plus. They were the Gen A+. Plus. They were the Gen Abraham. They felt like that's the only way you connect to God. And they, they were confronted with a ruthless Paul. He says to them, you foolish Galatians. He began to explain to them the difference between Gen A and Gen J, the generation of Jesus. And really, he attempted to say to them, in the next two chapters that we're looking at tonight, chapter 3 and chapter 4, he attempted to say to them, you do not need to be part of the Gen A in order to become loved by God, accepted by Him, and related to Him. All you need to be is the Gen J, is to be the descendant, the spiritual descendant of Jesus. And because he's going to refute their ideas uh, with Jewish uh, scripture and Jewish argument, I just want to summarize to you just some of what Paul had to say to the Galatians just before we look at that chapter. Paul was saying to them, you need to understand that your experience as a Gen J people, your experience as followers of Jesus was so complete, was so full, you don't need any addition to it. And he summarized the blessing of being the descendant of Jesus in three main 
threefold results. First of all, he told them that by your faith and unity to Jesus, you basically were justified or declared not guilty, declared righteous or in right standing with God because of Jesus. You didn't have to obey rules. You didn't have to you know, go through hoops. You didn't go through circumcision or obedience of the uh, performances of the law. You were declared righteous, declared not guilty, in that very instant that you received and united yourself to Jesus through faith. The second thing that you received is the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit came into you right away. His very DNA resides in you if you're united through faith with Jesus Christ. He said to them, and the last thing, you become children of God. You become adopted into God's family if you accepted Jesus and united yourself to Jesus. If you're a ginger, you've got that whole lot. You don't need anything else. So let's go through some of his argument. And to the best of my capacity, I'm going to try to clarify to you his voice, even when some of the phrases are difficult for us today to understand being of non-Jewish background. In Galatians chapter 3, he says this, and it's like it's best friends, uh, he greets them really kindly, and he says, you foolish Galatians, what a nice start to the chapter, he says, who has bewitched you, who has deceived you, who has tricked you, in other way, uh, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified, it's strong to say to them, the only reason you had this experience of God is because of Jesus who was crucified and was resurrected. You didn't have anything else but this message of Jesus' death and resurrection. Isn't that amazing? It says that's all you had. He's saying to them, I would like to learn just one thing from you. You know, when, I don't know about you, if you don't have parents, but if you, uh, sorry, if you don't have kids, if you're a parent, sometimes I, I want to know one thing from your child, and they know that it's trouble. You know, if there is only one thing, you've cornered them now. And Paul does exactly this. He corners the smart Galatians. It says to them, did you receive the Spirit? Remember we said receiving the Spirit was part of the initial experience of Christianity. Justification, reception of the Spirit, and adoption. So did you have a relationship with God? Did you become the generation Jesus as a result of observing the law? That means, did you have the law and you obeyed it and you got an A plus to be part of the Gen A pluses? Or did you just become a follower of God by believing what you heard? And you know what's so fascinating about this? Paul knows the answer. It's a, 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 a rhetorical question that could not be answered except by no. You know why? Because they are of pagan background, they're known as lawless people because they didn't have the law. It is pretty hard to obey the law if you didn't have the law. <laughs> so he's saying to them, come on people, you know, you did not come to know God as a result of obedience of any set of uh, codes of behavior or performances. You simply heard a message of the crucified and the risen Savior, you believe that and bingo, you were in. 
And he's saying to them, after beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort or in other translation, by means of the flesh? And it's really fascinating. The word flesh to Paul means just you, or I call it just me. It's me without God. And that's what the flesh is. It's who you are, your capacities, your inclinations, your tendencies, your sinfulness, if you like, anything you are without God. And he's saying to them, now that you started by faith, are you going to complete by your own capabilities, by the flesh? And obviously playing on the idea of the flesh because of the circumcision, you cut a little bit of the flesh. They're saying, you can't continue attain the full measure and status of Christianity by performing. You can't relate to God by now having a circumcision. It just won't work. Then... Obviously, Paul knew what they're going to say. Say, okay, you are telling us we don't need to be Gen A or Gen, Gen A pluses. We don't have to be circumcised. We don't have to perform the Mosaic law. So what was the purpose of it? If you're going to abolish it, what was the purpose of the Gen A? What was the purpose of Abraham? And this mastermind, Paul, he gives them a whack that... If, I, I, I say this all the time, if, if, they, were, if they had a young guy in our, in our era there, when he heard what Paul is going to say to them, he'd say, do you need some ice? Because he burns them well. It's unbelievable. He tells them, you know what? You're hyping on the idea of Abraham, and you think by cutting a little bit of flesh, you're going to become Abraham the sinner? I'm going to tell you something you have missed for centuries. And he uses Jewish scripture in order to portray to them that being a child of Abraham isn't all about doing stuff and being circumcised. And look at that. He says to them in, 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 in Galatians 3, 6, he says, consider Abraham. Okay, let us go to Abraham that you're jumping uh, to him. And he uses a scripture. He uses a scripture from Genesis. It says, he believed God. And it was, and every other Jewish guy, Jewish Christian, and that's, he will complete the sentence for Paul. You know, and he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He says to him, listen, you're telling me Abraham, you need to be part of Abraham's generation? So you can be accepted and relate to God in a close way. Well, Abraham became what he became in a right standing with God, related to God, based on what? Not because of obedience of the law, because the law came many, many years later, at least 400 and, and, and something years later, and even more. But because of faith. And he says this crazy thing. He says, understand then. That those who believe, not those who are circumcised, not those who obey the law, not those who get an A plus on their examination. It says those who believe are children of Abraham. Wow. For a century, they thought those who are circumcised and obey the law are the Genai. And he says to them, got it wrong. You've got it wrong. You do not become in the family of Abraham, based on performances, it's based on faith. It says the scripture foresaw that God would justify, that means make right, the Gentiles, not just the Jews, by faith. 
not by circumcision, not by obedience of the law, and announce the gospel. That means the good news of Christ, that God would transform your life without you earning that right. The gospel in advance to Abraham. What? You're telling me that that gospel you're talking about now was actually announced to Abraham years and years and years ago? He says, yes. And he says, all nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. He's saying to them, the reality is, if you want to be a Gen A, it's also through faith. And he says, let me tell you why the law came. It says to them before, in, in, in verse 23, it says, Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law. So Moses came in, and, and just a few uh, verses earlier, he says to them, You know, you couldn't annul the promise to Abraham by Mosaic law that came in, in Sinai 430 years later. You couldn't, you couldn't annul a will that when somebody's died and confirmed it. You couldn't basically say no to faith, now it's performance. You couldn't do that. So they're saying, what is about the law then? What's the point of the law? It's saying to them, the law, we were held prisoners by the law. It's like the law was a guard to keep you in prison. Locked up until faith should be revealed. It's saying, you know what the law did? The law said to you, you couldn't have a relationship with God. Why? Because no matter how smart you are, you got zero on your test. Because the pass in the law of God is 10 out of 10. Not 9 out of 10, not 9.5 out of 10. According to the Jewish scripture, if you do one little thing wrong, it's like you stuffed up the whole lot. So the pass was 10 out of 10, and no one could do that. So what did the law do? It says, you're stuck. You can't relate to God. You can't have a close relationship with God based on your ticks. So he held you there knowing that you couldn't, based on your performance, relate to God. Until when? Until that faith of Jesus was revealed. Revealed, the word revealed means break into our experiences. It's not a knowledge thing. It's a breaking of, uh, of God breaking into our experiences. He says, so the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. He's saying, no, we got to keep the law. He says, nah, it's gone. All its journey, all its purpose was to bring you to Christ. Not, no, not needed after you have come to Christ that we might be justified by faith. That means unity with Christ. And he says, now that faith has come, we are no longer, we are no longer. This is a brand new day. This is a brand new dawn. We are no longer under the supervision of the law. You don't have to be under the supervision of the law. And then he gives them the bombshell. He says this to them. He says, you are. You see, in the past, the previous several uh, scriptures, he's been saying we, we, we. But then he looks them in the eyes. He wasn't around. He sent a letter back just figuratively. All right, then. Don't send me emails. He says, you are all sons of God. It's saying, people, 
You've been fussing around that you're children of Abraham. You want to be A+. Plus. I tell you what, J is better. <laughs> Being a Gen J is so much more classier. You got A pluses in the J all the time without you even trying. How cool is that? I wish that Gen J was around when I was at school. I would have passed all my subjects. You know, it says, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you, who were baptized into Christ, have closed your, yourself with Christ. This is what Lisa did. In a, a, back in those days, let me tell you something. Um, I digress for a second. Back in those days, repentance, you're saying, I'm, gonna no live, I'm not going to live my life the way I live it any longer. That's repentance. You're making a U-turn and coming to God, not being independent of God, together with faith, and baptism, they were the same initiating experience of those people who believed. You know, to Paul, it doesn't calculate for a Christian not to be baptized. Just as much as he doesn't understand how a Christian wouldn't have repented of a life of independence of God. You can't say, I've signed the paperwork and I believe in God. Because it starts with repentance. I no longer want to live life the way I want to live life. I'm going to live life God's way. You see, there is, no, there is false salvation these days where people think that because they signed the paperwork, I put my hand up and I said, I believe in Jesus, that that made all the difference in the world. You know, God is not mocked. He's not ticking the boxes. Ah, this guy signed the paperwork. Yeah, I'm obligated now to pretend that he's on board. God is not that dumb, you know, not even you that dumb, you know, not even me that dumb. We don't trick ourselves with little superficial stuff like that. God ultimately says you got to repent of the way you're leading life. You're no longer going to live for yourself anymore. You're not going to longer be leading with human effort. You're going to live fully the life of God by the power of His Spirit. Then you have faith in the crucified and the risen Jesus. And finally, that unites you with God. And finally, you get baptized to show that you plunged into Jesus just like you plunge into the water. And boy, it was so warm. And that's the experience most people have when they plunge their life into this awesome God who loves them so deeply. And he says to them, these three things that you have done as Christians, you have put on Jesus. You became a children of God. And he says, um, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. Uh, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all, again, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And what he's saying here, the word, he, it's one of his favorite phrases. Apparently, he uses it about 172 times, Paul, in Christ. And it basically means it's a vibrant, intimate relationship with Christ. He's saying believing in Christ is not the idea of having some mental capacity or assertions to some belief. It's all about being united to Christ. You receive Christ. You see, the whole concept of being children of God or sons of God, Jesus actually mentioned that. It wasn't, Paul wasn't the first person to utter it. Jesus said in his biography, uh, written by a guy called John, one of his disciples, he says this, he says, as many as received him, that as many as received Christ, he gave them the right to become children of God. Isn't that absolutely amazing? It's not because you receive some teaching about Jesus. 
It's not because you believe some assertions and doctrines about Jesus. Did you notice? Receive who? Thank you. Three of you are awake. Receive who? You don't receive teaching about him. You receive him. And when you receive his DNA, when you receive his spirit, you are united. You are united. You're a child of God. Adoptions, friends. Adoptions is not about the Jesus creed. It's about the Jesus breed. You know the reason why some of us have left church. The reason why some of us no longer enjoy God. The reason some of us think this faith thing is absolutely hocus pocus. Is because you've seen people who declare that they believe the Christian stuff. But they walk in such a horrible way. Whether that's judgmental. Whether that's arrogant. Whether that's harsh to other people around them. And they can recite the creed. They can explain the most difficult theological thing. But at home, they are difficult to be around. With their friends, they pick fight in every uh, occasion. With their workmate, that people think they slack. That is not what Christianity is about. If you've left the, the church and the faith because of that, I don't blame you. But I want you to come back because the reality is you don't believe in Jesus because other people said so, but because you you have an opportunity to unite yourself to Him. It's not about a set of belief, because knowledge is not power. That's all hocus pocus. That the amount of smokers that know that cigarettes are gonna stuff their lungs are plenty. Knowledge is not power, friends. We're asking you not to accept a set of beliefs and sign the paperwork. We're asking you to accept a person. <laughs> And to become his breed, just like the Gen A, they were the, the physical descendant of Abraham. The Gen J are the spiritual descendant of Jesus. You're the child of God because you unite yourself to Jesus. Not because you signed a set of beliefs. Not because you agreed to a doctrine, but because you accepted his spirit. He united himself to you. In fact, he changed your hard drive. Because that what happens is not only change your hard drive. Look at what it says about the people who actually become the Jesus people. It says about them in chapter 4, just the next chapter, in verse 6. It says, because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into a heart, into your hard drive. That means God, it changed the way you think. It changed the way you perceive life. And it changed your hard drive. It changed your identity by sending his spirit inside of you. And when you receive his nature, when you receive that new nature, I want to tell you, you have four things that are part of you that will grow over time. Four things that will grow over time. Just like a baby is born fully a human being, but they grow over time. You, if you honestly accepted Jesus and united yourself to him based on his grace and faith in his in incredible work on the cross and his resurrection, you have four primary functions that will, uh, characteristics and traits that will evolve and develop over the years. And the first one is this. It says that he sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. And look at that next phrase. It says, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. You know what happens? As a child of God, you get the capacity to have closeness with God. The children of Abraham, 
They were like miners. They had the, 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 the supervisor, a slave, a, a, a pedagogue, what, what, what they say, the pedagogos, who was supervising their education and their moral uh, behavior and character formation until the time comes when the father will celebrate that they're no longer minors. They're now fully grown adults. And now they have the right to the wealth of their father. Now they can exercise their authority as children in the house before then. They were no better than a slave. They didn't have any privileges. So under Abraham, under the law, they were basically like slaves, being supervised by the Mosaic law. But then when Jesus comes, when they become children of God, they are adults. They initiated into the full experience of being the children, the sons and daughters of God. And you can call God Abba. That phrase, some people say it means dear daddy. Other people say it was just a familiar word that kids would use to address their fathers. Say it was a common language. You know what? That would baffle the Jewish people. Because for them, you couldn't even call the name, the formal name of God. <laughs> and now you call God like your dad. You know, I, I love it when you're in a, in a prayer gathering. And, and, and there's mighty people that have been with God for a long time. And they begin to pray omniscient God, most powerful, almighty, oh God, the paraclete. Uh, you know what? You can just address him, Father. Because if he's truly your Father, the Spirit will witness inside of you, say, you can have intimacy with that Father. The first thing, let's share the cross, the first thing that you get, the next, uh, next slide, please, that the first thing you get as a child of God is intimacy with the Almighty. The second thing, very quickly, I want to share with you there. It says, there is neither Jews, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one. That means you are all united in Christ Jesus. The reality is those three distinctions, whether it's uh, ethnic, ethnicity or, or, or social status or gender, differentiated people and set people divided from one another. In fact, it's, uh, some scholars tell us that Pharisees would wake up in the morning and say, oh, thank you, God, that I'm a male, not a female. No, 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 no uh, offense to the females here, but that's what the Jewish people used to say. Thank you that I'm a male and not a female. Thank you that I'm a Jew and not a Gentile. Thank you that I'm free and not a slave. But Paul says to them, you are now united. You have the capacity to be united to God's people regardless who they are. And the third one, it comes from Philippians chapter 2 and verse 15. It says this. Can we get Philippians 2.15 please? It's coming. I haven't memorized it, so it's coming. It says, live innocently, that one, live innocently and clean life, shining like bright stars. We're putting too much pressure on the young man. But what it's really saying is, you have the capacity to be pure. You have the capacity to be pure in your relationship, in your inner life, as a child of God. And, uh, uh, and the following one is Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 and 16. Thank you. That's awesome. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. 
In the same way, let your light shine before others that you may see your good, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And here, let's get to the the slide. We see the final area that you have, and that's influence in the world. You see, when you are born again, you know, when people say, I've been born again, it means they have a new nature. That's all that it means, just another funky word for it. But they have a new hard drive, if you like. It's the very nature of God inside them. And if you want to know that you have that nature inside of you, you will realize that you're beginning to have to build intimacy with God. You're beginning to have unity with people regardless of their ethnicity, gender, and social status. You'll begin to have purity in the inner life. Of course, there is struggle and discipline, but you begin to enjoy purity over corruption. And then finally, you have a relationship of influence in the world. You begin to see that God is using you to make a difference, to bless the people around you, to share with them the love and the grace and the, and the beauty of our Father in heaven. Friends, you are invited to relate to God as the Gen J, the people that have the DNA of Jesus by the power of the Spirit of God inside of you so that you're able to experience God on a brand new level. You don't, God doesn't want you to to recite a doctrine or a creed. God wants you by the power of His Spirit to live like Jesus in the world. It says that whom God predestined, that means the people that God brainstormed, He pre-planned, He had one goal for them, that they may be conformed to the image of His Son. That's, that's what God wanted, that we will be like brothers of the same DNA, of the same life with Him and with other people and in our life and in the world, just like Jesus was. And you know, for some of us, we haven't had that experience where we open ourselves up to say, by faith, because of the grace of God, I'm going to accept, I'm going to be united to God Almighty, to His Spirit, a brand new DNA inside of me. And that would release you. That would release you from the chains and the defeat that the enemy brings your way. I'm going to ask the band to come up, and we're going to sing one last song together. But I want to ask you, right here and right now, Let's have the band. Right here and right now. Would you invite, would you invite the Spirit of God to be united to you absolutely free of charge? You don't have to get an A plus on the test. You don't have to do all the jumping of the hoops. You can actually receive by grace. We want to remove God. Where is that box? We want to remove God out of that distant uh, box. We don't want Him to be placed in your mind as somebody that you can't connect with. You can connect with Him so much that He can become your most loving and caring and adorable and intimate Father to look after you, to provide for your needs, to protect you from the enemy, to bring you a future and a hope, to live His life in you and to crush the work of the devil. And despite of good times or bad times, despite of celebration or challenges, you realize that God deeply loves you. And He doesn't want anything out of you. He wants something for you. Would you bow your head? Father, for some of us who grew in the Christian faith, 
Some of those things are so natural, second nature to us. And we miss the opportunity to invite your spirit to unite to us and to begin the journey of reflecting your son in and through us. Father, we want to be close to you. Knock on the hearts of your people tonight, God. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would shake us out of our comfort zone, that you would let us know that there is no better way but to live closely to God Almighty in our challenges and in our celebrations. Bless your people, I pray. If you, if you tonight would say to me, I want to begin to relate to God as my father, a real and ideal father. I want to accept Jesus, not just in theory, but in truth. I want to live like a descendant of Jesus, like the generation of Jesus. Maybe you have been in church for a long time, but you haven't made that decision. I want to invite you to pray in your own mind right now. I'm going to lead you in a little prayer there's no embarrassment. I'm not going to ask you to lift your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come up the front. It's solely between you and God right now. But you might want to use some of my words to invite God into your life, to experience that transformation that Lisa expressed in her testimony, in her story, and that Claudia was able to endure despicable hardships, tough, tough, tough journey in life, and still stand strong with integrity, with strength, with resilience, and God is shining through her right now. That can be your story. Would you pray with me? Would you say that to God in your own way? Father, I hear that you love me. I hear that I can have you in my life because of Jesus, what he's done on the cross. I invite you into my life right now. I ask that your spirit would unite to me. I don't want to live life. I don't want to live life my way any longer. Come into my life. Come into my life. It changed me. Not just changed my circumstances. Change me. That I may have closeness with God. Unity with other people. Purity in the heart. And influence in the world. I accept you. I accept you. I accept you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you